In this week's update, major M&A takes off in lithium, outlook for copper becoming robustly clearer, and breakouts galore in the US market. My name's Gary Davis. As always, this is general advice only, and please remember to like and subscribe to the video. Another really, uh, really interesting week, finished off very well uh, with um, positive um, closes on both Thursday and Friday. So it's certainly continuing to look better and better despite uh, all of the nasty things that might happen. The market is certainly looking very positive. So for the US rally to continue, I think this is about the perception of disinflation in, in the future. So in other words, the rate of inflation, <coughs> beg your pardon, the rate of inflation actually uh, pro progressively reducing over time. Now, whether that turns out to be a, a true perception or not, we'll know in three to six months time. But at the moment, that is what the US rally is about. Um, and certainly the data, to a fair degree, does support that. So Wall, Wall Street is betting very clearly that the rate of interest rate increases is going to slow down, it's going to stop, and at some point it's going to reverse. I think the market expectation is it'll reverse with rate cuts before the end of 2023. The Fed is saying not before 2024, but again, they can't always be relied on to do what they say. And this has been evident pretty much all year with the rotation analysis that I do every Sunday. Where is the money flowing um, rather than what people would expect to, um, to be seeing in the market. But look, just in case, just in case inflation plateaus out, maybe even turns around and goes up, you know, maybe we get wage breakouts in, uh, in multiple countries. So just in case, and the Fed then has to, you know, continue on with, um, with higher rates for longer, my view has been for some time that most of your exposure should be to sectors and stocks that are going to be resilient to what is a nasty environment. And that's over the medium to long term. In the short term, anything's possible. And even the most resilient stocks can be sold off when the market gets negative. And we've just been through that over the last six, seven weeks after a very positive January. But putting aside that really short term, there are stocks and sectors out there that are just going to keep marching on. And significant dips in those stocks and sectors are great buying opportunities. And so it's proven again in recent weeks. The Aussie battery materials space is, is both good news and bad news. I think the opportunity is enormous for those companies that are involved. They've been sold off heavily this year, but there's now signs that Sentiment is shifting back in favour of those um, smaller cap battery materials and even some of the larger producers as well. But there's also an enormous opportunity for Australia um, because, you know, this could be a major, major opportunity to value add rather than just dig it out of the ground and ship it off. We can value add and create a major new manufacturing and export industry. But... The government policy that we've got at the moment is introducing a level of sovereign risk that we've never seen before, whether it's in minerals or in gas or oil or wherever it is. And it's definitely introducing sovereign risk to overseas investors, the investment that we desperately need 
We just don't have the capital to, to do this on our own. We, we need the capital of some major players. Um, and we're just not going to get there to the level that we could without major overseas input. And there's, and there's many voices in this space now. And Glencore, which is uh, one of the world's uh, biggest uh, mining operations, I think they might be the third biggest copper producer in the world. They're but one of the voices. And here's what they had to say uh, during the week. Quotation, there is a finite pool of capital around the world and Australia has become a less obvious destination to invest. That should scare the pants off everyone who would like to see you know, the Australian economy do well. But unfortunately, it's a reality of, uh, of current government policy. All right, American stocks. The S&P had a very good week, up 3.5%. And the chart patterns, as you'll see, and we've been seeing for the last few weeks now, are just absolutely undeniable. But even more so, I won't be doing that in this video, but even more so when you look at 100 or 150 individual US stocks, it's just very similar chart patterns, um, one after the other after the other. And that sentiment, that positive sentiment in the US does impact the rest of the world. It, it really does. Whilst you may not be interested in what happens in America because you don't trade there, it does impact um, on, a, on a sector basis what happens uh, in Australia. The US dollar index was steady, 102.53. Uh, the 10-year yield uh, was up very slightly, not much, but it, but it did get up closer to 3.6 during the week. But the VIX dipped sharply lower. Last week it was uh, nearly 22, now it's down to 18.7, and it hasn't spent that much time below 20 in the last uh, year and a quarter. And the 10-year, two-year spread um, still is negative. Uh, it's inched up a little bit, but uh, still... Uh, significantly lower than the a little bit more than negative one percent that it was a short while ago so let's jump in and look at some charts we'll start with the Nasdaq and the key things to watch here now are the orientation of the Nasdaq relative to the 200 day which is now flattening out and just threatening to turn up and of course the shorter term 50 and 20 day moving averages have already turned up and the index is above all of them. So they're all lined up uh, perfectly in, uh, in ascending order for, um, for a continuation of, uh, of this to the upside. And if we look at XLK, which is the overall technology index, um, it's, you know, it's very similar. We've got um, higher highs and higher lows, and the orientation is very similar, as you would expect that it would be. All right, this is the S&P on a daily chart. Uh, we've got a bit of a mess here and it's just really up and down since, uh, well, really the last 12 months. But uh, if you've been watching this video for any length of time, you'll know that I don't pay a lot of attention to, to the indices. Far, far more important is where the money flows are actually going on a sector by sector basis. This is the NASDAQ 100 versus the S&P. That's pretty clear. It's been a uh, meteoric outperformance. Relative comparison on a sector basis remains pretty much the same as it was last week. XLK, technology on top, communication services next, then consumer discretionary, uh, and then materials. And they are the aggressive sectors of the market. So they are clearly outperforming over the last three months 
They're outperforming uh, staples, healthcare, uh, energy, and of course, finance uh, at the bottom. 1,000 growth versus 1,000 value supports the same theme. Small cap growth versus small cap value, continuation of the, the breakout that we saw uh, last week. Um, and finally, and really importantly from my perspective, semiconductors versus the S&P also uh, robustly outperforming. So there's just there's absolutely no question at all about the aggressiveness of the money flows. And hence the sentiment of the market. If we look at the US dollar uh, index, this is on a weekly chart. Uh, we were down, um, down a little bit um, on that um, uh, on that score, 10259. Um, and if we look at the Australian dollar, we finished at 66.2 on the Aussie dollar. So the ASX 200 index was up 3.2% across the week. Materials were up 7 so we'll have a look at that. That was clearly the, um, the outperformance. And certainly the appetite for small caps is returning, whether it's just coincidental or not. But the takeover attempt by Albemarle for Limetown Resources in Lithium seems to have just suddenly woken the market up and, and sparked a, um, uh, a renewed energy for, uh, for small caps. It's probably being assisted by short covering. So a lot of institutions were short um, mineral stocks and they've been forced to turn into buyers. That means we've got very few sellers and we've got lots and lots of buyers. So that certainly helped. So if we take a look at the uh, ASX 200, you can see four very good days after a bit of indecision on Monday. So that's been a pretty strong return and the main influence uh, four really powerful days in, uh, in materials and uh, iron ore edged its way up as well. So if we look at, um, this is uh, emerging uh, companies, XCC, which is the benchmark for Australia's uh, micro cap companies, contains up to 200 companies ranked in the, in the area of 350 to 600 by market cap. And you can see it's turned up quite nicely as well. Energy, Struggling a little bit because the oil price has been a little bit weak. Finance, of course, has been sold off a lot more and healthcare is really just continuing to do what it's done for the last year and that's just pretty much carve out a big sideways pattern. Moving now to gold. Gold on a weekly chart. What I like here is that there's been attempted selling but it's been met with buying support. And if we look at that on a daily you can see it's just sort of really uh, up and down, not a lot of change across the week. But this this still looks a very bullish pattern to me, and, it, and I think it will, won't be too long before we have another crack at, uh, at breaking above um, the 2000 mark. Looking at uh, GDXJ, we're getting, um, we're certainly getting some, um, uh, some buying interest, but it looks a lot better in, in Australia than it does overseas, I must say. It's been pretty much the case for a while now. Precious metals, so gold was down $9 to $19.70. I think it's just a consolidation before gold has another crack at breaking 2000 and um, th this would be the, the third attempt to, uh, to break through that level, or sorry, the fourth attempt to break through that level. Um, and normally that, um, 
that is enough to uh, to get it over the line. In Australian dollars, we slipped a little down to um, 29.75, largely because our dollar was a little little higher. Um, when you look at gold stocks globally and you look at their valuations compared to the gold price, stocks still have some major catch up in terms of that that ratio of um, of the the gold ETF values compared to the gold price. It's uh, it's well below the historical average. So. If the market gets at all excited about gold stocks, we could be in for a very significant uh, move to the upside in, in gold stocks. Other commodities, copper up slightly, uh, nickel up a bit as well, about 30 cents. Now, when it comes to copper, there is a supply and demand gap, which is almost certain to continue widening for the rest of this decade. Um, it's been, you, you know, you would be excused for wondering whether it's going to happen or not because copper has been relatively flat for some time now but the um, the fundamentals to drive that that gap between supply and demand uh, just continue to get more and more attractive and the reality is that to incentivize the exploration needed which is absolutely massive higher prices of copper are required because a mergers and acquisitions cycle is not going to do it. All that's doing is just rearranging the deck chairs. It's not growing the size of the pie. It's what a lot of the majors are doing now. They're, they're spending their cash on, on uh, mergers and acquisitions, but there's not as nearly enough exploration happening to actually grow the, the pie to, uh, to meet the supply that, uh, sorry, to meet the demand that's, that's going to be coming. So I think it's inevitable that the copper price moves higher. It has to move higher to spur that, that exploration. And that's going to make the existing producers and the emerging producers just that much more profitable. And the other danger, I guess, is that roughly 50% of copper production around the world, particularly from Chile and Peru, which are the two biggest producers, come from what would be... To what would be termed unstable jurisdictions. You know, there is, there is sovereign risk. There is, um, there is instability in the community. There are riots. So this is all without any disturbance to the current supply. You know, what happens if the current supply does get disturbed? It just makes that demand, that uh, that gap, that demand gap, even bigger. So the outlook for copper really is very, very attractive. Now it may not manifest itself in copper stocks immediately. But um, I think if, you, if you're playing a patient game over the next couple of years, I think you can do very well from copper. Uh, crude oil, uh, back up um, about, uh, about 6 $7, I think, on crude oil. And energy stocks are rebounding quite nicely. Turning to lithium, lithium prices still declining, um, but I think we've probably seen the turning point now. And the question that's got to be asked, so, you know, you can pontificate all you like about whether prices in China for lithium carbonate, lithium hydroxide are going to continue to fall. It's a, it's a wasted effort. You've got to look at what the big boys are doing. What is the money really doing rather than what might prove to be just a transient situation in China because of subsidies they had into the end of last year? 
Uh, it could be some overt market manipulation. I mean, China's very renowned for that. They've done it in the rare earth space for years. So we don't know what what is going to happen to prices in China in the short to medium term. But if you step back and ask yourself, why did Pilbara Mines and Albemarle commit to the massive extent that they did, if there's any doubt at all, and, and they should know better than anybody what the lithium market is looking like. So Pilbara Mines has committed another $560 million, half a billion dollars to expand uh, up to a, a million tonnes a year of spodumene. Albemarle was paid a 62% premium for Liontown, which was probably already, in my view, was overvalued. And yet they've paid a 62% premium to get their hands on what it is that Liontown will start producing next year. So when you step back and you look at the actions rather than the words, you've just got to be super bullish on lithium. Lithium carbonate continues to drop. Um, these, these are China prices, 42000 and 55000 for lithium hydroxide. They're ex-Shanghai prices, but the rest of Asia are, are quite meaningfully higher. I think lithium hydroxide is, is up in the, the mid-60s, still. So the fact that we've had a three-month sell-off in lithium, when you look at what's unfolding, it's no different to copper. Um, supply is not going to be able to come on as fast as what some analysts uh, are adding up on their calculators. It just isn't. The reality is it takes a lot longer than people expect to bring this new supply on. So um, I think, you know, there's a very, very enticing story in lithium as well. There's the spot copper chart and nickel, not a lot of change there. Wrapping it up, I couldn't find anything better to say than what I said last week, so I'm going to repeat it with, uh, with everyone's permission. I think being judiciously contrarian at the moment um, is, is the way to go. We've seen weakness in oil because of fears about a recession. We've seen weakness in lithium because of declining prices because of short-term factors. We've seen weakness in BHP and Rio and Fortescue. And those, those weaknesses have set up periods because the outlook is very solid in these sectors. So what are the things that you should look for? Because you can, just because a price is falling and it's out of favor doesn't mean it becomes a good opportunity. So that's where you've got to be fairly judicious in your selection. So what are the best contrarian entries? What are the criteria? Well, it's got to be a high quality business that can be resilient to a recession, to inflation, to rising interest rates. They're not that easy to find, but they are out there. So we're looking for quality businesses with assured growth. We want to buy them when they're fundamentally cheap and they're technically at low extremes. And there's a, there's a fairly simple process that you can apply to that to make sure that you know, you, you're fishing in the right pond. And then you need a profit-taking technique so that the gains don't get away from you because as you've seen from several of the charts I've shown today, in some areas we're just getting sideways action. It's volatile, but you get a gain and then it gets given back again. So you need a profit-taking technique that is going to allow you to hang on to those gains, but still leave the upside open. So it's all about organisation. It's all about clarity about what you're doing. Portfolio analyst last week, I looked at the, the next potential worry. There's always going to be another potential worry and how we should prepare for it. 
And also um, my copper watch list. So gold the previous week, copper in uh, last uh, last week. And, um, you know, the, the better prepared you can be, the better off your results are going to be. I'm absolutely convinced of it. So that's it for this week. More information on the website. There's my email address. And I'll be back with you next Sunday. Cheers.